Okay, now back for an 11th time, and I'm very humbled to say that, is one of my all-time favorite guests and one of the top golf course designers in the history of our game, and that's Bill Bergen. You guys hear me bragging about what a great golf course the McLemore is every week here on the show, and what a wonderful experience my buddies and I have had there the last couple of years when we've gone up there for our annual golf trip. Well, Bill is just a wonderful friend and a guy that's meant a lot to me over the course of the history of this show. Let me remind you about his background. Played his college golf at Auburn University from 1978 to 1981, where he was named a first-team All-SEC player every year, and he helped Auburn win the 1981 SEC Championship. His 65 during the 1979 Pan American Tournament still ranks as one of the lowest 18-hole scores in Auburn golf history. He's played in over 250 professional tournaments worldwide, including three U.S. Opens, two Open Championships, and over 50 PGA Tour events. He started Bergen Golf Designs and has designed or renovated golf courses all around the world. Bill has been involved in well over 70 golf course design projects. In 2017, he was named one of the top 10 most innovative people in the game of golf. You've heard me talk about the recognition that the 18th hole at McLemore has received, being one of the top finishing holes now in all of golf. Well, you can see Bill's work in that hole and so much more by going online to his website, bergengolf.com. And I'm excited he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tees. Hey, Bill. How are you, my friend? I am very well, Chris. How are you doing? I'm fantastic, thank you. Yeah, what an exciting week. Right? Nothing, nothing exciting has happened yeah. this week, right? Isn't that a typical week? I'll tell you, I, I, lo- I love U.S. Open week. I really do. I like all the majors, of course. But U.S. Open week is special. And um, I, I'm really excited about seeing this new golf course and how the players are going to play. You know, there's nobody has a clue who has an advantage yet because we just don't know much about it. Well, to your point, right? I mean, look, looking at L.A. Country Club, it's a, a George Thomas original design. He also designed Riviera Country Club, among many others. Gil Hans went in there and restored the course back to Thomas's original design in 2010. We haven't seen it. I'm guessing you haven't seen it. Is that right? I have not. I played it, you know, I, when I was on tour, I was actually an alternate at, at the Riviera um, for the LA Open. And I was, I was first alternate and I didn't get in. And it was, I sat on the tee all day long, waiting for somebody not to play. And nobody quit. Nobody withdraws from Riviera unless, you know, something's really going on. Cause it, it's one of the premier golf courses, obviously George Thomas. And I had met a guy at the Bob Hope uh, weeks before that. And he invited me to play. LA Country Club. So I played the North Course in 1985. Unfortunately, time has gone by. I enjoyed it very much, but I don't remember it that well. And um, I can't wait to just watch on television. You know, um, Gil is obviously his work will be highlighted. uh, And I think it's going to be a really fun golf course. I heard Tom talk about it a minute ago. And he mentioned or you mentioned that there were five par threes and three par fives. And, you know, that just produces erratic scoring or exciting scoring and and i heard one of the guys on pj tour radio today while we were traveling talk about and it may have been mike Wan. um he he was talking about the scorekeepers are going to get tired because they're going to be changing scores all day long because it's a volatile type golf course you're going to see birdies you're going to see bogeys i think that makes for really exciting viewing what are your thoughts as tom and i were talking about the disparity in some of the yardages on these par threes, you know, one being 290 yards and another that may only play 78 yards. And then we've got a 
a bunch of par fours that actually could be drivable because they're well under 400 yards. I mean, to your point about scoring changes and risk versus reward and all of that sort of thing, how do you feel about extremes on those sides? So I like the variety. You know, it's funny, Alistair McKenzie, who is obviously one of the premier architects of all time, said that every golf course should have a par three that you hit a fairway wood and a par four that's a driver in a fairway wood. Well, in today's world, that can't happen. I mean, it's just, or it, well, it can, but it, it doesn't happen, especially on par fours, um, because they don't hit, they don't hardly hit woods into par fives these days. And so I think having that length, you know, if the guys, I, I've heard discussions that there'll be a bunch of five woods, there'll be some long irons, that's in keeping, you know, on the, even on that 290-yard hole, that's in keeping with the, uh, an appropriate challenge for that level of golfer in the U.S. Open. Conversely, a little bitty short par three, you know, is so exciting at 78 yards or whatever they decide to play it with a little tiny hole location. That's going to be exciting. You know, I played in three U.S. Opens, but I never made a cut. And my most disappointing, one of my really most disappointing uh, performances as a professional was at Pebble Beach in the 1982 U.S. Open when Tom Watson won. And I missed the cut there by one shot. I played in the final group on Friday, which was not a good position because it was, I finished at 1130 East Coast time. Being from Georgia, I was flat worn out by the end of that day because I had to wait around all day long and you're excited about the U.S. Open. But I missed a cut by one and I played the little bitty seventh hole, 100 yard par three and three over par. And you think about that and you're like, there's no way you can miss the cut by one and do that, you know, and play that little hole, you know, that hole just a wedge shot and so you know while there's a great opportunity with that little bitty hole in this year's u.s open i'm sure they'll be ripped as well so making six on that little hole i'm guessing the wind was up that day well i I had a bogey and a double bogey but yes on the second round i doubled it and um hit i plugged it in the bunker and it was plugged under the lip and you know just bad luck really um that you had no stance no swing you couldn't get it out of the bunker on the first try um, I haven't forgotten it. And it's funny because I don't remember a lot of things from 1982, uh, but I still remember that. So when you think about this coming Sunday evening, who do you think is going to be at the top of the leaderboard? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm such a big Jordan Spieth fan. Um, and I think the reason this will play well for him is they talk about this course favoring creative guys guys who can that have imagination that can do things a little bit differently and he kind of leads the pack on that you know you just never know what you're going to get they also say because fairway width averages probably 10 yards wider than a typical u.s open some of the fairways are up to 50 60 yards wide um and jordan you know jordan you've watched him enough to know that he hits it all over the place sometimes and and so i think that will give him some comfort. And I think the great variety, the par five, five par threes, I think it, I think it sets up very well. I hope he gets off to a good start. You know, the U S open majors are a lot. You can't win it the first day, but you can lose it the first day. And so, um, hopefully he gets off to a good start in his first round and, um, should be, should be really exciting TV. And I like that, you know, being an East coast guy that we're going to get to watch a lot of golf at the end of the day on, um, on Thursday through Sunday. Bill, I want to switch gears a little bit. And um, I love seeing the updates 
with how things are progressing at the outpost, the second course that you and Reese Jones are putting together up there at McLemore, give us an update. How how are things progressing in your mind? Yes, so this is one incredibly exciting site. I think it's a one of a kind place. I just think there's nothing like it anywhere else. And as much as I can describe it to you, it's indescribable. My words do not do it justice. It is uh, it's an awe-inspiring place. Um, you know, you know it's a it's a cliff-edged mountain golf course that's completely walkable. It sits on the land absolutely beautifully. Um, it, it's got some really cool characteristics. The first thing is we have five holes on the edge of the ridge, which you know the 18th hole at the original Macklemore course is well known and and certainly uh, well photographed. And but that hole we built on the side of a mountain on an angle. We built it on a you know probably a 25% grade, which means we really had to cut one side, fill the other, create playable space. It was very difficult to build that hole. The new course lays on the ground right next to the edge. We don't have to do anything special. And so that is really exciting. And then there are places where you can see there's, you stand on the 16th green, you see all 18 holes. Now imagine anybody listening, your home course and standing on a spot and seeing every single hole in the golf course. And that, that's incredible. And then the court, the holes are completely memorable. Each hole is totally unique in its its own version, even though you can see everywhere, each hole is very unique, very memorable, and it, we are so excited about it. We've got, I guess, 10 to 12 greens. I think 12 greens are shaped. 10 of them have greens mix in them. Irrigation is going in now. We are we are literally pushing hard to start grassing late summer, and we're looking for a next summer opening. So, Bill, with 18 at McLemore being named one of the top finishing holes in all of golf, do you feel any added pressure to make sure that the outpost lives up to what you did at the original Macklemore course? Because now it seems like you're saying you've got a canvas that can take that a step further. Yes. In fact, I feel um, in a good way. I feel a ton of pressure because I think this is absolutely one of the world's spectacular sites. And so we have been given this gift to, to, um, to shape and mold and create this incredibly uh incredibly beautiful site to play golf and so um you know it's all there for us now it's up to us to really make it special and it's it it, that's not going to be as challenging as as you you would think it's so good that you know every time we turn around the land just says here's a golf hole you're going to love it how new is that parcel of land to you did you see that land when you were putting in the original Macklemore golf course, or is that something that, that someone introduced you to, you know, months, years later? No. So it came after, and what's really interesting, and I've said this often, if we hadn't done the 18th hole, the new course at, at, at the original course, and that 18th hole was a brand new golf hole. So we renovated 17 holes and we built one brand new hole and it's in a different location. Um, if we hadn't built that 18th hole, None of us would be working there today. That 18th hole that we built on the original course has, you know, gained so much notoriety. It has generated people's interest in Macklemore. They come, they love it. They keep coming back. It is the reason we have a hotel under construction. And it is the reason our owner found this piece of property. It's only a mile and a half down the road. In fact, from the hotel, you can see the new course. From the new course, you can see the hotel. 
So it's, you know, it's just a shuttle away uh, down, down the road on the same elevation as the, as the old course. But the difference is that this land is just so gentle for golf. And it was 100% free. So we cleared 200 acres to create this golf course. And it has five holes on the edge, but it also, it, it has these beautiful holes that climb. And I, I say that because they're fun. So the uphill holes are kind of this fun hole you're really going to enjoy playing. And you get to the top of this spot and you turn around and the entire valley is looking, you know, looking back at you from below. So each time you climb up into a spot on the golf course, so we've got four spots that are high points. Each time you get up there, you have these incredible views and you play right back down. But again, it's, it's, it's all gentle. It all just works beautifully. In fact, most of the courses in Atlanta have more topography and are harder to walk than, um, than the outpost will be. I know McLemore presented some challenges to you guys with the amount of rock that you had to move or dynamite. Are you running into those same similar challenges now at the outpost? I would say tenfold. Um, the whole side is rock. And so we do have dirt. We have nice dirt, but we have an amazing amount of rock. And our, our project manager with Southeastern Golf is Clyde All. Clyde is really experienced. He's been around and done a ton of work. And he told me one day, he goes, Bill, there's just no easy hole to build on this golf course. And he's exactly right. It's, it's, and, and when you think about it, the land lays perfectly, but you've got to get irrigation in the ground. You have to get drainage in the ground. So there's a lot of things that, that are subsurface. And that's the hard part. We're, we have a hammer running every day, which is, you know, on the end of a track hoe, you hear this tap, 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 tap. That's music at, at the outpost because it just never goes away. And, and we're blasting also. So we're, we're using dynamite. We're hammering. But in the end, no one will know it because it lays on the ground so nicely. You'll just look at it and go, wow, this was a perfect site for golf. It is. It's just not easy to build it. You mentioned the hotel and Macklemore is a bit of a hidden gem right now. Rising Fawn, Georgia is a pretty small town. You're up there on the mountain, not a lot there, but Hilton Hotel getting close to completion. The houses and the neighborhoods in the area. There's also the ability for stay in place for some homes up there. There's an on-site restaurant, a short course, the Himalayas putting course that you guys built, conference room space for business meetings and retreats, families and couples coming up to the resort for more than just golf. Pretty soon, that area is going to be pretty darn busy. We're very excited. And it's a fun place to be no matter whether you're a golfer or not. And it's so beautiful. There's hiking trails. And just it just has this vibe or atmosphere that makes you want to hang out and not go home. Um, it, it, you truly feel like you're on vacation and, and it's not far from a lot of major cities. So it's really easy to get to Macklemore, whether it's driving or, or, um, certainly by flying. And it just is a special place. It has an atmosphere. You know, we do the singer songwriter night, I think once a month, um, for five or six months. And that's a really popular, uh, venue for people. And then the hotel will open next spring. And I think that'll change everything. I've had a tour of the hotel. I was really impressed. Um, and, you know, everything that happens up there that Dwayne's been involved in, Dwayne Horton, our owner, it just keeps making it just keeps making the entire package better. It's not just about, you know, the 18th hole. It's not just about the hotel. It's not just about the original Macklemore. It's not just about the outpost. It's sort of a sum of all of these things make it such a special place. Bill, you have a pretty cool ride these days. Talk about the Mercedes Airstream van you're pulling up in now. 
Yes. So we have a Sprinter van and we were started traveling about five years ago where we were traveling five days a week. And that's pretty rough. Um, and we, my son and I, who worked for me at the, at the time and still does, looked at each other. So we can't keep doing this. I mean, we, we literally left home on a Monday and then come back for Friday, living out of a car. And he came up with an idea. He said, we, we need a, you know, we need a van. We need a mobile office. Well, we didn't really think that totally through at first. And as we started shopping for it, we realized, heck, let's get a small RV. And so we got a Mercedes Sprinter. And we've had it actually four years and 160,000 miles. And it is a home on the road. I'm sitting at the back of it right now. Got my computer in front of me. Uh, I have, you know, all our supplies that we need for projects, a grade rod. We have abundance of paint. We have flags. We have all the construction things, our boots. Uh, we have a shower. We have a bed if we need it, although we used to spend the night in it often in the first couple of years, and now we probably do hotels most of the time. But it is truly um, allows us to work while we're on the road. Today we were in Savannah. I was out on the job site. Matt was working on another project on the computer in the van. And so he worked all day like he was in a regular office, but he was in, in, in the van. I worked all day on site. We drive to Valdosta tonight. And I work while we're driving and he, he's driving. So it's it, both of us get great use out of it. And um, it's on the road all the time. We're literally uh, right now I'm traveling six days a week. We have eight jobs under construction. So we're on the road all the time. And this makes being on the road quite nice. Bill, before I let you go, I got to get your thoughts on the bombshell that shook the entire golf world a week ago today. How do you feel about the PGA Tour partnering with the the Saudi public investment fund and everything that uh, at least the framework for what they're telling us could happen later this year. Well, it caught me totally by surprise and I am a PGA tour loyalist. So I'll put it out there. Uh, even though my success, I didn't have much success on the PGA tour. I still felt like it was, it was, you know, as, as Rory told, told Grace, Grace and Murray, just play better. You know, golf is, is the ultimate capitalist, game you if you play well there's no stopping you if you don't play well you don't do so well and and so live tour i was not a fan and i'll tell you why first as an architect i really dislike the the shotgun start a golf course has a rhythm and a flow and it's even even you know most major championships they used to only tee off the first hole because the golf course was set up to play that way now they do tee off one in ten you know because of just timing and getting people around and they play forever slow. So I think they have to, but the golf course is designed with certain holes in, in a certain order. And so I couldn't stand that about live. I also feel like 54 holes is not quite a championship test. And then you get into the fact that there is a certain pride that comes with making a cut. And you watch a champion golfer on a Friday when they're struggling and guess what? They work their tail off to make the cut. It matters. It means something. And it makes Friday afternoons actually meaningful. Look at Scotty Scheffler. He almost won the memorial um, a couple weeks ago, and he made the cut on the nose. So all of those things have nothing to do with the owners of Live. And I'm not going to judge that. I, you know, I think American businesses probably do business with Saudi Arabia in all sorts of ways. So I think that's that that wasn't my concern um but the i just felt like it was set out to just to hurt the pj tour that i didn't like at all and so that you know i'm not a fan of live golf 
Um, I, I hope they come to a reconciliation of sorts. Sounds like they are, but I think there's a lot of loopholes, legal things to go through still, because I do enjoy watching Cam Smith play golf. And I do enjoy watching Brooks Kepka play golf and Dustin Johnson and Bryson DeChambeau. I mean, there, and there's some young guys, especially the live tour seem to attract a number of the foreign players, you know, Abraham Anser, excellent player, Joaquin Neenham, all kinds of good players from South Africa and Australia and South America who we want to watch, you know, play against all the best players. So, you know, what's going to happen is the tour becomes more of a world tour. There's been talk about it forever, uh, a little less, you know, U.S. centric and a little more world tour. Um, and, and, you know, that's in the end, that's probably a good thing. And so I'm sure there'll be great places for young guys to play and work their way up. Um, you know, they've done a good job with that with Canada and Latin America and Asia. And so, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Bill, before I let you go, remind our listeners, how can we stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you, whether it's on your website or it's on social media? Yeah, so I wish my website was kept up to date more often, and as does my wife who runs our business. But we are very active on social media. And so we post project pictures almost daily. Um, and, and so Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, and, and if you like golf and you want to watch the process, it's, it's pretty interesting going, you know, right now we're grassing a ton of courses. So you look back and, and, you know, when they're in the dirt, they don't look like much. And as you start to prep and as you start to lay sod and put sand in bunkers, all of a sudden a golf course comes to life. And even the mowing process really makes a golf course shine. So it's, it's a fun time right now. Um, we're grassing out, you know, you know, six or seven golf courses right now. And, you know, for the next two months. So it's a, it's a good time to, to see the process and, and we enjoy sharing it. It's just a, you know, it's, it's just a fun thing. And, and, um, again, those social medias, Bergen Golf, all you have to do is Google Bergen Golf and you'll find us. Well, you're doing fantastic work. I'm loving all the pictures that you're putting out there of the outposts and the other projects that you're working on. It is very interesting stuff to see a, a golf course come to life right before our very eyes. And I can't wait to get up to see what the outlook is looking like. And hopefully I get that opportunity before too long, but you're fantastic. My friend, I can't thank you enough for coming back on the show for an 11th time. And I'm already looking forward to number 12. Thank you, Chris. And I appreciate your support. As Tom said, he said it very well. And I would love to give you a personal tour and get you nice and dirty out on the outpost. <laughs> so, um, so you let me know I'm, I'm there often on Fridays. So if you get a Friday and say, Hey, I'm coming up, I'll give you, I'll give you a great tour. Awesome. I'm going to take you up on that. I'm going to do it soon. Thank you so much for that invitation. I look forward to catching up with you, Bill. You're fantastic. Stay safe. All the best you and your family. We'll do it again soon. Thank you. And to you, Chris. See you later. See you, Bill. That is the great Bill Bergen, folks, and the outstanding job he does, whether it's on an original project or a restoration, is really something to behold. I can't thank him enough for being a part of the show being a part of the show 11 times. And then, like I say, getting an invitation like that to go up there and check out the outpost and, and to do it with him as a guided tour. Oh, that's fantastic. I can't wait to look forward to uh, the opportunity to take him up on that invitation.